All right, you're now tuned in to the follow-through with Clips and Drew, the True Players Podcast, episode 235. We got a quick one for you guys today. We're going to break down the Eastern and Western semi-conference finals. Game one, we're also going to give you our thoughts on what's going to happen in game two. It's the follow-through with Clips and Drew. Drew, kick that intro music. What up, podcast world? What's up, everybody? You know what it is. You know where you're at. It's the follow-through with Clips and Drew, the True Players Podcast, episode 235. Uh, We are recording on Tuesday afternoon. It's about 345. We have game two of, uh, what do we have first? Boston uh, Bucks, and then we have Warriors uh, Grizzlies tonight. So we want to knock this out uh, so we can go back and watch these games. But we have a lot to talk about. We got to talk about these game ones for the semis. Um, I, Drew, let's just hop right into it, man. We have game two of Boston and Bucks tonight. And there's a few things that I want to, you know, talk about regarding that game one. And I know a lot of people uh, in most of the NBA world, once Chris Middleton said that they were that he's going to be out for this series, potentially for the rest of the playoffs, who knows? We don't know yet. I mean, it, it, it caused a lot of concern for Bucks fans and for for people just think seeing how this, this series was going to go. But for me, it was... No Middleton, but you know what? The Bucks are like, fuck it. Let's bring in 6'10 Bobby Portis. Let's bring in seven-footer Lopez, and let's just try to beat these dudes up a little bit. And, and that's exactly what they did. There wasn't any crazy games from anybody. I mean, Giannis triple-doubled 24, 13, and 12. Bobby Portis had, had a good 15 points. Drew was eight for 20 with 25 points. But, you know, the way I'm looking at it is in round one, the Celtics went against a team that was, you know, a little ill-equipped, not really any big men that they could play, that they were playing against. And now they're going against the the, the champs right now, who are an extremely smart team. They're battle-tested. They have a leader in Giannis, who's probably the best player in the world. I know we go back and forth every week with that, but... You know, these guys are built for this situation. Uh, the Celtics didn't have a great game. Tatum was 6 for 18 with 21 points. Brown with 12 points. Uh, defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart, who's going to be out for game two now with a thigh contusion. He will not be playing tonight, which I think is going to be huge for them because who's what's that mean? Peyton Pritchard starts. Uh, Smart only had 10 points. So, look, I know I don't like to read into game twos too much, Drew, but – and it might be too early to say this, but it is a must win for Boston tonight. What do you think? Yeah, I think uh, the unfortunate part for the Celtics is they did everything right gearing up for this matchup in the at the end of the regular season and, of course, how they took care of business against Brooklyn. But their shooting let them down in this very crucial game one at home when you assume that home court advantage should mean something when when you're talking about one of the most – you know, crazy fan bases that's out there when, and, and the support that the Boston Celtics get when they're at home is tremendous. Unfortunately, it was a big ass letdown. There was just like a, you know, that was the NBA game version of my favorite sound effect. Wow. Wow. From the price is right. That's what that was. Um, Jalen Brown was ice cold and could not, could not find it at all. Was taking pretty good shots. I don't, I didn't feel like he was forcing it too many times. Uh, Tatum was also, you know, obviously not shooting great, but the thing that jumped out to me the most when I was watching that game and then even thinking back on it is 
it's a it's a whole shift in gears for the Celtics to go from scoring against the Nets to trying and scoring against the Bucks. Not not even close to the same beast. And I think Budenholzer was wise to go big. Oh yeah, with that starting lineup, I think it threw off the Celtics. I also think the the physicality of this of the of this postseason in general. The refs are letting a lot of these these teams play pretty physically under the under the boards, and that suits the Milwaukee Bucks more than I think it suits the Celtics. Drew Holiday did an unbelievable job on Marcus Smart. I I truly believe that Drew doing that to Marcus, um, even if Marcus was able to play in this game in game two, would be the the biggest shift for the for the Celtics to have to deal with it because Marcus been has been facilitating so well but Drew's making it hard for him to even dribble the ball up the court and then every time Marcus is on the floor getting banged up now he you know he was on the ground I don't know how many times in that first game but Drew Holiday was able to like kind of strong arm him a bit which I thought was surprising because Marcus is not a small man that's the biggest thing for me and I'll, I'll let I'll let you get in here again the Bucks are so drastically different than the Nets and what and what the Celtics have had to deal with um, on top of having a cold night. Doesn't mean that I don't think they can win a game. I certainly think they can win win a game against this Bucks team um, and potentially, like you said, in a, a must-win scenario tonight. That's that's real. I don't think they can feel comfortable going down 2-0 and then going back to Milwaukee looking like they're going to come out of this series. So uh, I think your call is accurate, and I think they can do it. I don't think Tatum and Brown will shoot – like those numbers again. Well, the numbers, uh, the numbers for Tatum and Brown in that game. So Tatum was six for 18 uh, field goals and then four for nine for threes for 21 points. Brown was four for 13, three for nine threes. And Smart was three for 11 uh, and then one for six for three. So the, the three point ball was not falling. Everything that you said about Drew and Marcus Smart was true. They got, they got some beef going back though, too. Mm. Drew really wants to prove something to him. But like I was saying on the intro, it's like, okay, your bigs against the Nets, you know, your Time Lord and your Grant Williams and your Tices are are completely different than the bigs you're going against right now, which is a Bobby Portis who stretches the floor. Obviously, he likes to shoot the three. The guy jacked up like eight of them the other night. Lopez likes to shoot the three, and he had four blocks in that game. And then you got Giannis, man, who's just – I mean, that one play that went viral on Jason Tatum where, it was, where he threw it off the backboard to himself. You know Tatum was on the ground like, how the fuck am I supposed to guard this guy, right? Like, what do you do? How do you plan for Giannis, right? And I was on a Twitter spaces yesterday – with NBA Top Shot and Alex Kennedy, and we were talking about Top Shot and talking about talking about the series and whatnot. And, you know, we were talking about, oh, who's the best player in the world? And, you know, we, are, we fall victim to this as well. Like, it seems like every two weeks, it's somebody else. Oh, it's Steph Curry. Oh, it's Kevin Durant. Oh, it's LeBron James. Oh, it's Giannis. No, it's Jokic. No, it's Embiid. You know, and then at the end of the day, when you look at it, man, it's, it's this dude. It really is. It's this dude, uh, Giannis, who does it on both sides of the floor, uh, he's a great leader. He, he, he's got the energy of 10 men and it's just, he's a force to be reckoned with. And, you know, one thing I mentioned on that spaces and one thing that we've said on our show numerous times is every, every single season, when, when there's one thing that we need Giannis to do and to get better at, he he's gotten better at it. Right. And I think this is when, uh, them being there before I, I mentioned being battle tested being in these positions before and being very well coached and smart and thought out 
uh, I think that it comes into play in this series. And I, I definitely want to see more. Uh, we need, they need more. The Celtics need more from their two big guys. And we've been on this Celtic train for a while now. A lot of us, a lot of people in the media as well have been talking about, oh, well, Celtics can win the chip. You got to go through the dude first though, man. And you got to go through Milwaukee. So uh, I, I do think tonight's a must win. I'd love to see Boston get one, but when we're saying that Tatum and Brown uh, need to be better, I mean, who's the third guy on the squad? Is it going to be Derek White? Is it going to be like, well, who's it going to be that's going to get them the points that they, that, that they need? Uh, and again, Giannis was nine for 25. He didn't have a great night. Oh, for two from three. Uh, sorry, Portis shot shot seven threes, but he was two for seven. And Drew, eight for 20. You know what I mean? He, he was three for five for threes too, but I think it could go both ways for both teams. If Giannis, I, I think Giannis is going to have one of these games where it's 45 and, and 17 for him in one of these games. He should, because there's nobody on that team that can guard him, really. Time Lord could give him, I mean, no, Horford played. Where I think you're wrong. I think Al Horford has the, literally done the best job that any individual player has ever done against Giannis. That That's I've, true. So I think that's the lucky part for the Celtics is that they do have Al Horford and they do have Time Lord back who looks, you know, ready to go uh, and willing to be the weak side defender. Uh, but I think your your point about the Bucks also having an off night is important to note because the Celtics played good defense. They held the Bucks to 101 points. The problem really with game one is the Celtics had the worst shooting night of the season for the for their team the entire season. And they were, they were not great to start the season. This is the worst game that they've had all year. Uh, and so anytime something like that happens, you're just probably going to take a loss. You know, we, they, the Celtics shot from the field, 33%. Now the Bucks only shot 41% as a team. So I think the Celtics can really be like pretty happy with how they defended um, against the Bucks, They just weren't able to put the ball in the basket. See, I'm, yeah. there's a stat that stands out to me, though, Drew, going off the defense of that, is the Celtics contested only 68% of the Bucks' three-pointers in game one. It's the lowest uh, contested rate of any team in the playoffs, right? And to me, that says that Giannis, they're, they're, they're relying on so much defense focused on Giannis that there's so many wide open looks that the, that the, that the Bucks just didn't make, right? They mm. only contested 68% of 100% of them. So it's very low for them. I think if the Bucks, I mean, what, what was the final score? 101-89? This easily could have been a 20-point blowout if these guys hit 50% of their three-pointers. So I agree with you on that. I, I do agree with you on the Al Horford thing with Giannis. I mean, it's crazy how Horford does really well against Embiid and, and Giannis, mm. right? I mean, who would have thought? And, and Horford had a really good game too. I think he had, what did he have? 20 or 10, something like that. He, he did pretty well. Uh, but who do you, who do you got tonight then for game two? Who are you taking tonight? Yeah. For game two, I'm going to take the Celtics. Um, I am, I think Marcus Smart's him not being there is going to be really, really close, like very difficult for the Celtics to pull it off. But I think they should treat this as, you know, not an option, no other option. You have to go in and, and at least play the entire game to win. Now, I do think it's all, it's going to hinge on on two guys that you brought up, Derek White and uh, Peyton Pritchard. It, it's going to hinge Who starts, on, do you think? I think White will start. Mm -hmm. I have to assume that because mm -hmm. his switchability on defense is much more seamless and similar to Marcus Smart. Uh, Peyton is good, but he's not going to be – you know, able to switch um, as as easily as Derek White can in the pick and roll. So, yeah, I think – but I do think Peyton will have, a, you know, an uptick in minutes for sure, and they'll mm. need him to step up today. Uh, I think the fun part for him is that he can. Like, both of those guys are capable. We've seen it. 
Uh, Derek White, very capable. And Peyton Pritchard, I think, you know, even in his small career has shown moments where he can, you know, meet the moment, you know, rise to the rise to the challenge. And we'll see if that's it tonight. I mean, that's just, I think that's the truth. Like, even without Middleton, um, I still, you know, the Bucks are still very formidable. And if Connaughton starts knocking down some shots and if Bobby Portis is going to be shooting threes and Brooke Lopez is going to be hitting shots, it's not going to be easy. I'm, I'm pulling weirdly for Boston in this, mm. in this moment, because I do, I don't want the series to go, you know, to a sweep or, or, or a, a four to one kind of a five game series. I want to see a seven game series. This is good stuff. Uh, so I'm pulling for, for that. I think it just out of neutrality, mostly. Yeah, I mean the playoffs have been great up until this point so far. Everything's been been so awesome to watch. Um, let's let's move forward to the second game tonight. Uh, Grizzlies, or we got yeah, Grizz and Golden State. Which you know, in game one, it was a winnable game for Memphis. They actually should have won this game. I mean, Steph didn't have a great Steph with twenty four points. He's eight for twenty, five for twelve for threes. Clay six for nineteen, three for ten for threes. If Poole doesn't go off for thirty one points in that game. I mean, Memphis is winning this game, right? Even Wiggins gives you 17. Ja, who ends up with 34. I mean, this dude was just putting up shots left and right. 14 for 31 and the four for 11 threes. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. finally got to, you know, we get to see what this guy can do if he could play 30 minutes and not be in foul trouble, right? Uh, 33 points, 10 rebounds. He played 30 minutes. It's, it's the Desmond Baines who was three for 10, nine points. Uh, Dylan Brooks, three for 13. Uh, you know, Melton had some good minutes, 14 points and whatnot. But that, that this was a winnable game for Memphis, and they probably should have won this game. Obviously, like the talk of the game was Draymond getting ejected, right? And it's funny to me, Drew, because it is 100% without a doubt, unequivocally, a flagrant foul too, and he should have been ejected. All right. I, I don't understand where the discrepancy is. Right. I want, I want, I want to break some things down for you guys. Really. I'm gonna put this in layman's terms. Okay. Is flagrant one equals a unnecessary foul. A flagrant two equals an unnecessary and excessive foul. Right. Both of which were done on that one play, a karate chop to the dome, to the head, no matter what it's going to, it doesn't matter what player you are. You are getting a flagrant one. If you, if you touch somebody's face, you are getting a flagrant foul one. Draymond Green karate chopped homeboy in the in the dome and then pulled him down by his jersey. Draymond can lie through his teeth all he wants that his hand got caught up in the jersey. It did not. You pulled him down to the ground. I don't care if you're trying to lift him up in or or whatever. I love Draymond. He is so important to this team and to them winning a championship. He should know better than this. Any every if anybody should know better than this, it's Draymond, because this is what he's been known for his whole career, right? Um, so I thought it was funny that immediately after the game, he went right to the podcast, which is so cool. Welcome to 2022. You know, no more, you know, don't don't worry about the post-game presser or about media people writing false narratives about you. Draymond went right to the microphone afterwards and went on the boys with TNT to talk about it. And look, I don't, I don't know if he really believes what he's talking about, but that could have changed the whole game. Say that, say they lose that game, right? I'd be heated at Draymond for even putting themselves into that position. And I want everybody to know this too. Like rep means something to these players. People like Patrick Beverly and, and, and Draymond Green and Boogie Cousins and, and Marcus Smart and, you know, back in the day, Dennis Robbins, you know, the referees, they, they are watching them. 
They're watching them for this specific reason because you've earned that rep. I'm not saying you are a dirty player, but there are things that happen with you constantly that generate a flagrant one or a flagrant two or a technical because you're talking out of your ass and whatnot. So the, the thing is, is like everybody's like, well, he didn't intend to do that. The, the referees call the play based on what they see. They don't know intention. They don't read people. They don't, they can't read people's brains and be like, yo, uh, he intended to do that. No, that's why every, everything is, is the same. If, if, uh, Paul George hits somebody in the face, it's a flagrant one. If Draymond Green does it, it's a flagrant one. That's just how the fuck it is. So, I, I just wanted to bring that to the forefront that I don't, I, I 1000% agree with that it's a flagrant two and he should have been ejected. And do you agree with me on this? I know Golden State fans might not, but it, it's facts. It's truth. I think you're right. Like the way that you explain the, the rules as the NBA has issued them to these referees, they are confined to, they, they have to eject him based on the rules that they're supposed to be operating within. I don't like it. I don't think it was an ejectable foul for me. Just off of watching watching the play, I'm like, oh, he got him real good in the head. That's what I. The first thing I said is that, oh, that he got him. He got him pretty clean right in the dome. And I was like, that's going to be a flagrant one for sure. And then the pull down, I can, I get it. I know why they ejected him. You're and the way that you explained it is accurate. I wish it wasn't the case. I think is more and potentially that's how Warriors fans feel as well. Is like. You know, they're always going to protect Draymond. <laughs> but, yeah, he's no stranger to this uh, and to these moments and to pivotal moments doing something like this where it did not need to be this. He did not. So I think the bigger question for me is not not is, should he have been ejected or should he not have been? Why the fuck is he doing this? That's yes. the bigger question. Like, what are you doing? Why are you putting your team in jeopardy like this in a pivotal game one where you're already the away team? You're the away squad. So, like, why does he continue to get so caught up in these moments where you could see it, dude? I mean, he went for the the the, the shot attempt right before the, the the flagrant foul or whatever it was. There was a he jumped for one and swiped real hard at the ball and missed. And then the ball ended up with Brandon Clark right after that. And he went up and just was swinging. He was swinging away. And it's like, what are you? Why? Why? How are you this smart and cerebral and, you know, basketball IQ? No one's going to question it. Draymond has a, a fantastic basketball IQ, but then you do bonehead plays like these, and it, and it's not out of character. So to me, yes, it's a flagrant two. I wish it wasn't a flagrant two, but the bigger question is, how are you? He's thirty something years old. You're a grown man. Like this is part of being a leader and being, you know, like the Hall of Fame pa- player that he wants to be considered as. It, these are crucial moments that you can't let the mental side of the game affect you and i think he he does a lot i i agree and you know it's not like the refs are picking on him it's no. this is you you <laughs> have the rep they're picking on you because you do this constantly right mm-hmm. and so i would I just want to read something that i was sent today this is the official statement from nba uh, crew chief kane fitzgerald on draymond green's flagrant two fouled and this this is a quote the first part was the wind and the significant contact to the face and then the pull down from the jersey, grab and throw down to the floor to an airborne vulnerable player makes that unnecessary and excessive. And what is a flagrant two categorized as unnecessary and, ex- and, ex- and excessive foul? So a hundred percent, I don't care who you are. If you're Jeff Crompton and you can you really throw like an argument my way on why it shouldn't have been, uh, let me know. Uh, 
Okay, so besides Draymond getting ejected and Steph and Clay not having a great night and Poole going off, what, what did you think about the game, Drew? Give me your rundown. It really had it all. Like, this was a great game. <laughs> I, it got down to the wire. I didn't, you know, I kept going back and forth. Is like, man, can the, can, can the Warriors pull this off without Draymond? And Jordan Poole was, was absolutely incredible. I mean, so the, the few things that I had were, um, mostly about like Steve Kerr trying stuff and tinkering with stuff this postseason, right? Leaving Steph on the bench, starting Poole in the first uh, first round series against the Nuggets, I think was great, and it gave Poole just a, this mountain of confidence that you know he can he can do whatever he wants out there. And then he's he's fulfilling that, right? Like Steve is giving him a longer leash, and then he's like, "Cool, yeah, this is it. Like this is exactly what we need." And and he's really been, I would say, the most important offensive player on the team in in these few uh postseason games that they've had so far um so he continues to impress but he start steve kerr starts gary payton the second um on john morant which i thought was great i thought that was a really smart way to do it you know maybe mess with jaws head a little bit maybe mess with um you know the grizzlies like you know kind of scouting and the way that they used gary payton on offense i thought was also very impressive uh, he was setting the screens. So he was making, you know, he was being the ball screener and making jaw interact on a defense. Like you can't hide on <laughs> if, if Gary Payton sent the screen on Steph, jaw can't hide. Right. And, and then they would double Steph. They feed it to Gary Payton, who's a point guard and he's catching the ball at the, at the free throw line with like four options. And he's typically making the right choice and occasionally yamming out on top of somebody's head, which he got to, he do, he got to do in this game. Uh, sidebar here, though, I think the way that he does the cap or, you know, whatever, whatever version that the, t- the kids are doing when they're tapping their heads, whatever that's called. Uh, he does that where he just kind of scratches his head. It's like the version where he's just kind of scratching his head instead of doing like the full, you know, tapping on his head, let him let people know that he got on top. That's my favorite dunk celebration that I've seen thus far. It's the most creative. He just kind of like he's just looking at him and he can't get a technical foul. You for can't do that. His own head. I got an itch. I got an itch, dude. I, you know, what can I do here? I'm just scratching my head. This is crazy. Um, so uh, that, that was really impressive. I think Gary Payton's defense, uh, as well as everybody on the Warriors, uh, especially after Draymond got, you know, bounced, was was pretty spectacular. Uh, and this is, it feels like the Grizzlies missed an opportunity here. That's what it really feels like. As good as Poole played and, you know, jaw and, and as good as Jaron Jackson played, it's like, man, you really need to take advantage of those times when Jaron Jackson is on fire because they are not, you know, it's not very likely that he's going to have another game like that in this series where he's shooting that well from three. Um, but to me, this is more of a testament of how good and how deep and how ready the Warriors are to be in this moment right now and potentially how, you know, unprepared the Grizzlies are just from an experience point of view. Um, as a coach, he doesn't have a lot of postseason experience, Taylor Jenkins. And as players, they do not have a lot of postseason experience. And Steven Adams being out with COVID, I think, is is just not great. It would have been a great option after Draymond got ejected to throw Steven Adams in the mix and see what happens. Slow it down. Let's see what we can do. Get some moving movement going. Um, so, yeah, anyway, it feels like the Grizzlies missed an opportunity. Uh, moving forward to this next game, I'm going to be looking at the combos of Dylan Brooks, who was pressing the whole game, pressing the whole game, and Clay Thompson, who was pressing the whole game, ended up hitting an unbelievable shot and had a nice fourth quarter, but was pressing the whole game. I'll be looking at those two guys 
and seeing which one has the better game tonight. And I think that'll be the determining factor as to who wins this game, especially if Draymond's going to, you know, continue to with his antics and potentially get ejected again. You never know. You can't. Well, you can't he can't. He, he he he's two points away from uh, from a suspension, and two you get one point for a flagrant, two points for a flagrant two. He's got to be on his best behavior. I don't expect. Uh, Steph to have a night that he had, and I also don't expect to have to for Desmond Bain to have such a bad night as well. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, it's imperative that Desmond Bain has a has a good game for them. He disappeared out there, man. That he was did. that was surprising. I wish he I wish he was a little bit more assertive. I'm sure they're gonna they're gonna tell him to be in this yeah, game. Yeah, Bain was three for ten field goals, one for five threes. It's not going to be enough. And you know the uh, one of the questions that I was asked yesterday on the spaces was who's the second most important player on the Memphis Grizzlies, and without hesitation, I said Desmond Bain. And a lot of people would say Jaron Jackson Jr. is the second most important player, but I really do think it's Desmond Bain. And I, I you know, Steph's due for for a really good night as well. I know Clay missed those two free throws. It's probably pissing him off, even though they got the dub. Uh, I, I'm just glad that we finally got a game where John Morant isn't doing the gritty somewhere dancing somewhere, right? Like, can, can you just chill on the dancing? This definitely isn't the squad to do that against. Right. I know he yeah. said that he, I, I know he looked at, at Kuminga like, yo, this guy can't guard me. I get it, bro. You know where I'm at in my boomer stage with all this shit talking everybody's mm-hmm. doing right now. I'm so over it. Uh, I, I don't know who I'm going to take in, in uh, tonight's game. I really think I want this series to go seven. I really do. And I think it has the capability to go seven um, unless the the Warriors just, you know, put on their big boy pants and say, fuck it. Like, let's own these cats. We we said going into the playoffs, Drew, with Memphis, that the inexperience was going to be something, uh, you know, the, the, the their age, you know, Stephen Adams being the oldest guy on the team. I think their average age is like 23, which is crazy. And we said that that it, that it was going to mean something when you go against these veteran teams like Golden State. So um, although I have Golden State winning the series, I do think Memphis is going to squeeze one out tonight. Uh, I'm hoping they do because like you want with the Bucks series, I want this series to go seven. I know our boy Jeff Crompton does not. All right, let's move forward. Uh, we got to talk about this, this Miami-Philly uh, series. Uh, no Joel Embiid. We knew that this was going to be an issue and it's a bigger issue than everybody expected. I mean, we were starting with Deandre Jordan, which was a shock to me. Uh, there is absolutely zero presence in the key for Philly. Uh, it was the bam and Tyler hero show yesterday. Shout out to Tyler hero who before our pod today, just finally won uh six man of the year, rightfully so yeah. as he should have, that was our pick. Um, but my notes from this series, I mean, from this game drew, uh, I have some stats that are wild. First of all, Doc has gone with 32 different lineups <laughs> since Embiid has been out, which is crazy. And he's sticking by his uh, uh, starting of DeAndre Jordan. He's going to stick with DJ. I mean, you don't have any options, dog. It's him or Paul Reed, right? Mm-hmm. And I like Paul Reed, but should he be your starting center? Nah, DJ's got a little more experience, but there's issues. There's issues with DJ starting. Um, but before we get into DJ, the bottom line is this, and it's going to be the same thing when we talk about Dallas and Phoenix here in a minute. 16, 9, and 5 from Harden just isn't enough. Yeah. It's not enough. And unfortunately, they're going to need James Harden to have 27 to 35 points, even to, to be hanging in these games. Tobias had a nice game. Uh, you know, Maxi did okay. Harden, here's a crazy stat. Harden's been held to under 25 points in his last 11 playoff games. 
hasn't scored over 25 points in his last 11 hard. Uh, really? Uh, yeah, Drew. Uh, and wow. Then to that's give, that's, that's a big stat. That's crazy. I didn't, know, right? I didn't know that. That's pretty intense. And and look, this isn't all Harden's fault either. The the 76ers were 0 for 10 from three-pointers on Harden-assisted threes, right? You got to hit your damn shots. Um, it's a tale of the second half, though. It was a 56 to 41 second half. I know Harden is he was bitter after the game and I understand why. And he thinks that this series isn't going to affect his legacy at all. And you know what, with Embiid being out, there's always that crutch to stand on as far as like, well, we didn't have Embiid. And I'm here to say that, like, I don't know if it's because of the hamstring injury. I don't know if it's because he's 20 pounds heavier. I don't know if it's because the rules have caught up to James Harden, the rules that he manipulated, to, to work in his favor have now caught up with him and working against him now, as far as, you know, getting those and ones, there's a couple plays in this game where he looked froggy as hell, right? Looked really quick off the dribble. He got to the rack pretty easy. He's just not getting to the free throw line. Like he used to those 15, 16 points he was getting from the line aren't really happening right now. And when this trade started, when this trade happened, you and I were like, Oh fuck, these games are going to be three and a half hours long with him beating him going to the free throw line. But I think what we have to realize now is this is the normal. This is the James Harden that we're going to be getting. I think he's capable in one of these games to have 30 or 35 points, but I think we're setting the expectations too high, which is crazy, Drew, because this was an MVP candidate three years ago. We're, we're having discussions of like, yo, is this guy a top 10 scorer of all time? Is this guy a top five offensive player of all time? And now we're looking at 16, nine and five. Where are you at James Harden? Where are you at? You know that this is your moment, dude. And this is the reason why Maury brought you here was to be that guy in case of these circumstances, right? So, uh, and yeah, we could talk about Harden and, and, and the team not playing so well. I'm, let's look at Miami. They got everything that they, they got everything they need to win a championship. Bam was eight for 10, 24 points, 12 rebounds, two steals, one block. Hero scored more points than the whole bench of Philadelphia, right? Philly, I think was... a. Uh, yeah, they had 21 points on the bench for the for Philly. And and, and, and Hero had 25. Right. So and that, that that just can't happen. And you know, with DJ on the floor, Philly was outscored by 22 points. 22 points wow. with DJ on the floor. And that's because this drop coverage, right? There's this drop coverage that goes on and they're just getting wide open looks and buckets. And again, I think this this gives this makes Doc Rivers' job even harder because I think Paul Reed actually did good minutes. I like the way the kid plays. I really do. But can he play 35 minutes? No, but what dude, what would you rather have Paul Reed or, or Deandre Jordan? And now you're looking back hindsight's 2020 shit. I could really use Andre Drummond right now, right? We really could use Andre Drummond right now. So give me your takeaway from this, from this series or from game one, at least. I think overall that first half should give the Sixers some hope that they're not entirely out. Like we all think that they're out when we heard the news that Embiid wasn't going to be available for the first couple games, right? Embiid's out for the first couple games, maybe the whole series. Everyone's like, okay, that's a wrap. But then they show up and they're in the lead at the end of the first half. And it was ugly. It wasn't great. It was, you know, some missed shots and some tough defense. And and then it got, it got away from them in the second half. Um, you know, Miami woke up a bit, but – I think, you know, Kyle Lowry's absence is going to be an issue for the Heat. You know, Gabe Vincent is good and he's done well for the Heat 
this entire year as Kyrie, as, as I almost said Kyrie, Kyle Lowry uh, has been often on the court, you know, pretty much all year. Uh, but I do think, I think the winner of this series might be who gets a full squad back. Uh, and, and most importantly, it's because of the stat that you mentioned early, 0 for 10 on James Harden assisted three-pointers. Those assisted three-pointers usually are open. You're going to get, you know, at least three or four of those, <laughs> you would assume, the next time that that happens. And then James Harden's 19, uh, nine, whatever, 16 points and five assists turns into 16 points, 10 assists. Mm-hmm. And then the game is much closer. And then the, everything changes. Um, but unfortunately for the, for the Sixers, I think the, the sad part is I don't know if Tobias Harris is going to have a better game this, season, this series. Uh, he was he was great for them and he did really well. If I'm Doc Rivers, I'm shaking it way up and I'm going to try and copy what the Warriors have done here. Without Embiid being healthy, I'm going to go ultra small. Give me cuz Bam can switch with any of them, so let's make it let's make it hard for Bam to switch and make everyone smaller. Let's not leave a center out there. Let's not leave Paul Reed out there. Let's give me give me Thibel and give me Tobias Harris as as your 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 big boys and say you know what we have to gang rebound against Bam Adebayo we have to box out we have to do the stuff on the defensive end so then we can get out and transition and try and make this game a little bit more uh, James Harden esque pace which is weird because he is a slow player offensively but I think now when he's in point guard mode I think he actually likes transition a little bit more. It's easier for him. He can get into transition and then dime out to layups or threes. I think that's really the, the way for success if the if the if the Sixers are going to try and steal a game with Embiid not available. That's what I would try. I would try it and you know, see what happens. You know, try it in the at the end of the first quarter, try it at the end of the third, and see well, what's good. And if it works and if it clicks and it's confusing to Miami, then that's really your best bet. And hopefully you can get some good defense to initiate some easy buckets on the offensive end. But it's uphill, bro. No Embiid. They shouldn't. They shouldn't win a game, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. And you're you're saying Doc needs to try things. I mean, 32 different lineups with yeah, Embiid. He's trying, he's trying everything, yeah. right? And yeah. the crazy thing about Doc, I know people that don't like Doc Rivers or don't like the Clippers or don't like any of that. They want to see him lose this series so bad, and I get it. And finally, after the years of talking about you know blowing. 3-0 leads and whatnot. Finally, Doc erupts in the in the press conference and is like, yo, check the stats, okay? I'm trying my best over here, all right? I was an eight seed in Orlando. Yes, we blew it in the bubble. I get it, but can we just stop talking about it, right? And he does have some bad luck. I, I, I honestly think that from everything I hear about this injury with Joel, I know he's going to want to come back in game three. I don't think he will come back in game three. Um, I, it's time for for these players like Toby, who's making that crazy money and like Harden, who wants to get more crazy money. Um, and there, you know, he's, you know, and all the things that we've said about Harden, it's just his time to shine, man. There's no other player on this team that can do it like him. So he has to be that guy and maybe he needs to be ultra aggressive. I mean, Maxi was good. Maxi had 19 points. Tobias was 11 for 18 with 27, 24, um, 27. which is great. 27, which is great for Tobias. And you're right, Drew. That's probably his best game of the playoffs. But this is going to be a long road. Like you said, this is going to be this is going to be uphill battle for Philly. Uh, and I just, you know, Miami being the number one seed and, you know, they kind of got lucky with Trey in round one and then you get a, a, a no Embiid in round two. This might be an easy path for them to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. 
but they we have to give them the props that they deserve as well. And they are a well-oiled team. Like we were saying about uh, the Bucks, they're very well coached. Their culture there is great. They got, you know, every player that they need. They need Lowry in order to win a championship, in my opinion. Like you said, Gabe was great, but you need Lowry in there. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how to call this series, Drew. I mean, I, do you think Philly's going to get one? Yeah, I think they'll probably. I mean, if Embiid plays at all, they'll they'll probably you know steal a game or two. Uh, I'm still assuming that he'll be back for games three or four somewhere after that, and then he'll play the rest of the series. So the important part is they just need to get one. Philly needs to get one. They can go down 0-2 and have those two games back at home if mm. we if they know that Joel's going to be there for one of them. But you can't really go down 3-1, right? You just can't do that. That's just not the way for success. Um, and they're going to try to steal something here. I think the good news for Philly and potentially the bad news for Miami is that when that offense gets slow, man, it is Tyler Hero time. Mm. And if you can see that, like Jimmy Butler had a very bad game, 15 points, shot terribly from the field. We're not talking about that because they won a game pretty handily here. But he did not perform very well, and he's been relatively inconsistent other than that one crazy whatever 40-point night he had, I think, against the Hawks. Um, So I think uh, Miami shouldn't be super stoked with how game one went. Right. Like, the, yeah, they won. They had a blowout second half, but there was moments of like real kind of like, wait, what's happening right now? Like, why is not this offense look better? And I think that's the thing that, that keeps resounding with me is like. If, if you know that it's Tyler Hero time, then, then just throw all the bodies at him, throw, throw some bodies at him and make it difficult. The good news for Miami is that Tyler Hero is good. He's a good player <laughs> and he can still score buckets over over good defense. But when I look at both of these teams. And I look at the other series over there with Boston and Milwaukee. The Eastern Conference champion is not coming from this series. I don't care if Miami wins in four or seven or whatever. It's Boston or it's Milwaukee to me. And that's the series that I think is going to really tell us who's going to the to the finals from the East. Yeah, real quick. I mean, for both teams, they were horrible from three. Uh, Philly was 17%. Miami was yeah. 25%. Like that is just, that's atrocious. You cannot let that happen. ugly game. It was an ugly game. Yeah. I wasn't even, yeah, it was, it was ugly. Uh, I still want to say, I want Embiid to be back. God damn it. This guy deserves it. Can, can we give this guy a shot? Uh, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Look, well, let's talk about uh, Dallas and Phoenix real quick. Cause I kind of has, I don't know if it's funny or not, but like, I was really excited for this game last night and immediately drew, I'm going to say, I'm going to say a solid, I don't know, two minutes into the game. I just looked at Dallas and I'm like, yeah, they just don't have enough. (laughs) They just, they just don't have enough. And all I kept saying to myself is God, Luca needs some help, man. Luca needs a lot of help. And, and this guy had a, obviously a 45 piece, but looking back on it, this Dinwiddie Bertons things just isn't, isn't it. Okay. And I'm looking at first half, half stats. Okay. Luca eight for 18 at the half, 26 points at the half, right? The dude was just having a, having a day. Dinwiddie 0 for four Brunson one for six Bullock one for four, right? They are going to need Bullock DFS Brunson Bertons, everybody, everybody needs to, this needs to be a, a group effort. And you know, we all know Luca's special. We always talk about how offensively gifted he is, the shots that he makes and his passing and whatnot. This dude, 
that this dude passing out of a double triple team is phenomenal to me. Mm. The fact that he can catch dudes in the corner on a triple team, he he was setting every one of these dudes up. The, the, the ball just was not going through the hoop. Right. And he needs, there needs to be a Robin on this team. I bet you he's wishing for a, a Porzingis right now. There is no inside presence. That. <laughs> Can you fucking bring in Boban for a minute? Like they're going to need some help. There's absolutely no answer for Deandre Ayton. Okay. You know, I, I'm not a fan of Devin Booker. I, he's on my third team, uh, all NBA. I think he is a very gifted player. I'm just not a fan of him. And like within seven minutes of the game, he blocks the smallest guy on the court, Jalen Brunson, and then calls, tells him he's fucking garbage to his face. And I'm like, really, is that what we're doing Booker? You're going to pick on the little guy and they call him fucking garbage. Like, come on, dude, be, be better than that. Uh, Chris Paul was great. Uh, I just think, I mean, Phoenix has too much. They have too much from every single angle. And like, even if you take DeAndre Ayton out of the game, they still have too much. But then you have Ayton, who we don't talk about enough, right? We brought it up uh, last season during the playoffs. We were both really impressed with this dude's game. It's so old school. It's so old school. There's nothing like dominant about Ayton. He just hits shots. He shoots at a high clip from six, seven feet out. He can hit a 10 foot jumper. He's got soft fucking hands, right? Like this guy is perfect for this offense. And then you have everybody that can shoot threes. D book can shoot threes. CP can shoot threes campaign. Jay Crowder. That's all he does is shoot threes, you know? So I just think this is going to be a long series, even if it's four games for Luca, if he's going to have to do this every single night, it's going to be long, man. And at the end of this series, when Phoenix comes out on top, I say the first thing he does is walk right up to the GM's office, right up to Cuban and say, I need help. Yeah. You know, it's weird because I agree that he needs help, but I also agree that the Mavs are trying, right? They're trying different shit. They're like, Hey, let's, what about Porzingis? Maybe that'll work. Didn't work. So they get rid of Porzingis for, you know, a relatively decent package. I think Spencer Dinwiddie has been better than expected. I think Bertans has been poo-poo. Absolute doo-doo. The Latvian laser, doing? dude? Oh, my God, bro. I mean, just counting checks. Counting checks. And not hitting any shots. Nothing. Um, He's worthless. So that part sucks. But I do think the Suns defense unfortunately for the Mavericks, is perfect for the Mavericks' offense. Jason Kidd uh, essentially has had like the three-guard monster, three-headed guard thing happening, and they just do dribble weaves, bro. I don't. I mean, every time I see them, they're just doing, okay, like dribble handoffs between Brunson, Dinwiddie, and Luka. And most of the time, Luka doesn't do any of that shit, and he just dribbles the whole time and then gets to the bucket and scores or kicks out to somebody. But when they are in their offensive quote-unquote sets – that's like this dribble handoff thing. And I think the most interesting thing to me is like when you see Jalen Brunson go off with Luca not on the floor. And then Luca comes back and Luca goes off and Jalen Brunson's back down to like whatever, 12, 14 points. It's clear, right? Like it's just a one, it, it, they don't have a lot of, of versatility offensively. Mm -hmm. And the Suns can destroy number one options all day long defensively. They're like, cool, this is what you're going to do? Fine. Luca can score 45 points. You guys well, are going to come up. You're not getting 40. I'll nobody tell you else. Is, nobody, nobody else is going to get 20. Right. Uh, I mean, Kleba had 19 and, and that's the, that's the solution is in order for Dallas to steal a couple games, you're going to have to get a little bit more creative on offense when Luca's not on the court. And you're going to have to rely on Kleba 
offsetting DeAndre Ayton and, and fucking get, get Boban out there for, for two they minutes, have to. <laughs> two minutes, two minutes when Aiden's getting, you know, when Aiden's getting some rhythm or whatever, mm-hmm. just, just to fucking shake shit up, throw a zone at him. Like right. just, you just got to get weird. Your team is not better mm-hmm. than the sun. The, the, the Mavs are not better than the sun. They're, they're very far inferior. Far, to the sun. So you just got to th- like, yeah, throw the picket fence, all the different trick play, like anything you can do. You got to pull rabbit out the hat type mm-hmm. shit. Uh, the Suns are going to take care of business, unfortunately. I mean, Luca is—it's possible, right? If he's going to just average forty-five a game, that one of those nights coincides with the Suns kind of having a bad shooting night and they'll steal a game, which that sounds like a Mavericks—you uh, know—game three at in in Dallas. That's what that sounds like, you know. <laughs> right. the Mavericks steal one, um, but if Booker, Chris Paul, like the, if the, if the starting seven or eight players for the Suns are available and healthy. They're not losing the series. No. <laughs> the Suns are going to go to the finals again. <laughs> right, yeah. Western, Conference, Western Conference finals again. Pardon me. Yeah, not by a long shot. They, he just needs help, man. Needs a lot of help. And if 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 Bullock and and DFS and and these guys can hit their threes, they can stay in the game, right? Yep. He's giving them the looks. It's not like Luca's ball hogging at all. He's giving them the looks, man. And they're just not they're not falling down. And the defense is part of that as well. Yeah. And you know, watching Mikael Bridges play D is, is something fun to watch, you know, and even CP again, like, does nobody watch tape on CP? Like if he gets to the free throw line, he's shooting the rock. Okay. And for everybody, if you don't know yet, uh, Chris Paul got the flagrant for kicking the dude in the balls, which is again, your rep. He's been doing this since high school. He did it in college. He's done it in the NBA a long time. Jay Crowder too kicked, kicked Luca in the balls. This is a thing, right? This is a thing. So, Poor Luca. I feel bad for you, dude. I'm, I'm hoping you get one. I don't see. Here's the thing, man, is I don't feel bad for him because this is working out well for him, in my opinion. I think Rudy Gobert will be a okay. Dallas Maverick I, that's um, po- at the end of this year. I think that's going to happen. And I think losing this series will, like, force the issue. You know what I mean? Like, Cuban will have to force the issue. Yeah, I'm fine with that. And that, those were in my notes too. Like if you put Gobert in that situation, they would be so great, especially with the screens. This guy can, you know how I am with Gobert and his screens. Give, give <laughs> me the screens from Gobert. It'll create a lot of space. And if, if they can get Gobert to Dallas, that'll be huge for them moving yeah. forward in the years to come. Um, do you have anything to say? You got a final thought? I know we really want to watch this game right now. We wanted to knock out this podcast for everybody, but you got, what do you got for me, Drew? Uh, mine will be short and sweet. I think Anthony Edwards can be the next great two-way guard in the in the same ilk of Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Ooh, spicy. If he, if he wants to be. And this is the reason I'm bringing this up is because we probably won't talk about Anthony Edwards until the beginning of next year, right? So as a last-ditch effort, something I can mention, when you watch the kid play, he's built. he's built for it. But when I watch him play defense and he gets excited and motivated to play defense, it's pr- it can be pretty devastating because of that size and athleticism. Uh, I think he already is uh, on on the same path scoring wise as Michael and Kobe. If you just look at him, he's he's capable of doing all of the athletic feats and the turnarounds and up and unders and all that. He'll just has to he has to get better at all that, and he has to know the footwork and the timing and the patience and all that stuff will hopefully kick in because it's, he's got a long way to go to get to those guys that I'm mentioning. I, I'm not, I'm not saying that he's going to be as good or better. I'm saying he can be the next version of them in a sense, because 
both Michael and Kobe were dominant on ball defensive players. And the more I think about what success means in Minnesota, the more I think it's tied to Anthony Edwards individual defensive efforts, because if he's not, if he's going to be a zero on, on defense, they're already trying to trade D'Angelo Russell, who's a zero on defense. If he's going to be in zero on defense, this, this, this path, this trajectory that they're on right now, it's going to change. It's not going to be straight up like it is right now, but it could be like completely vertical if he decides to take on and like go hang out with Pat Bev and like learn what it means to be an effective on ball defensive player. I'm excited about it. I think he actually has the mindset to like to focus in on that relatively soon. He's still so young. He's not, I don't even think he's 21 yet. That to me is a very exciting prospect. And that's my final thought. Yeah. We both love Anthony Edwards. If the guy would just literally humble himself and realize that, wow, I could be this. I could be this. If I want, like, if I want to be this guy, I can be that guy. He is the epitome of God's gift to like, here, here is a basket. I'll give you all the skill, the body, everything that you, the athleticism here, it is you do it with it, with what you may. Right. If he would just humble himself a little bit and be like, Hey, I want to be great. I think the sky is not even the limit for this kid. You and I both agree with this. My final thought drew is, and I have to bring up the Lakers right now because I found this so funny today because now the Lakers are bringing on Phil Jackson to advise them on what head coach they can, they should get. Right. And all I'm saying to myself is, aren't you paying people to do this job? Don't you have a general manager that's supposed to do this job? Why are you bringing in ex-coaches from from a decade ago to come in and advise you on what coach you you – I mean, I guess Phil knows how it is to manage egos and whatnot, but you pay somebody to do it. And I don't understand why they're bringing in somebody else to do it for them. Okay. Make the decision, uh, Jeannie or Rob or Rambuses or whatever. It's your decision. Don't let Phil Jackson be the guy to come in and make that choice for you. All right. So I'd rather, I'd rather it be Phil Jackson than Magic Johnson. If there's one guy who knows how to deal with egos, as you just said, and LeBron and Westbrook and Anthony Davis all have egos. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. And I'm actually happy that it's him and not like fucking Kurt Rambis and his wife deciding it. So, Hey, anybody that wanted the Kobe Bucks, they got sent out today. If you got any questions, email us at clipsanddrew, gmail.com. Screenshot, record, let us know you're listening to the show. It's the follow through. We'll be back soon, people, and we'll ghost. You know what it is, you know what it is, you know where you're at. This is the follow through with Clips and Drew. What up, podcast? What up, what up, podcast? You know what it is, you know where you're at. This is the